degenerate into something full because we just got tired of doing what you told us to do. That doesn't quite sound right coming from me somehow, does it? Anyway, you can suck it because I am the Maniac Matt Tennant and you are listening once again to the Union Smack podcast as we enter the home stretch of our journey to review every in your house ever. The classics, obviously, we're leaving NXT well alone. And this week, we reached the two dozen mark with only three left in the bag. Now, as usual, before we get into it, you can find me on Twitter at BruiserMate. Find the show on Twitter at UnionSmack, where you'll find the link tree in our bio to everywhere you can find us around the podcasting world. Go to UnionSmack.BigCartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Bio, where you can celebrate five years of the UnionSmack podcast. Purchasing our new logo shirt, our new Union Smack Revisited shirt, and of course our old logo shirt. Thank you for that, Rocky. And of course visit Lulu.com, where you can pick up a copy of my books, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. Now, we know why we're here. It's obvious why we're here. The train is screeching to a halt. The end is in sight, on the horizon. But this week, we visit In Your House 24 Breakdown from September 27th, 1998 in the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, the WWF at the time had just come off of SummerSlam, where The Rock was beginning to be primed for a WWF Championship run in November at Survivor Series by losing the Intercontinental Championship to Triple H in a cracking ladder match if you've never seen it it gets the union smack stamp of approval go and check that out especially as we've just come off of SummerSlam season and stone cold steve austin had retained the wwf championship against the undertaker in another cracking main event however everything did change after SummerSlam because the undertaker turned on austin joined forces with Kane and Vince McMahon, admitted that he and Kane had been working together all this time, and now the decks were firmly stacked against the Texas Rattlesnake. Now, In Your House 24, it begins with a video package for Vince McMahon's master plan to get the WWF Championship off of Steve Austin. It shows Austin getting one up on Vince McMahon and all the times he has. Uh, it's also based around war and comparing Vince to great leaders. The Undertaker and Kane are built as Vince McMahon's biggest destructive force and his biggest weapon in his quest to dethrone Stone Cold. Now, we open the show with Edge versus Owen Hart, and this was Edge's first singles pay-per-view match. Now, do bear in mind, depending on where you read reviews of this match or hear reviews of this match, they will tell you it's Edgy's first pay-per-view match. It wasn't. That was at SummerSlam when he teamed with Sable against Jacqueline and Mark Moreau, I believe. I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that was the match. So this is Edgy's first ever singles pay-per-view match. Owen Hart gets a godlike reception from the fans in Canada. Of course he does. But that soon turns to chance of Nugget, which he laps up and plays like, like a pro. 
Now they go at it, exchange wrist work, which looks brilliant and smooth. Owen Hart, back elbow in the corner. Monkey flip, which lands Edge on his feet to execute a drop kick. Edge hits a Hurricane Rana, clotheslines Owen Hart over the top rope and hits a baseball slide. Owen then reverses an apron crossbody into a power slam on the floor, controls Edge with a backbreaker, and then fans begin to taunt Owen with the nugget chance once more. Now this was this was the Owen Hart that was I'm not gonna say on his way out of the WWF because we know he left the WWF in a body bag, sadly. But this was Owen winding down the end of his career. He was going to step away by the house of his dreams, live with his family, retire. I think there was mention of him going to teaching as well. And he was literally just seen out of contract. But he was still there to help build the new stars. And this match is evidence of that because he really goes in on Edge's future. Yeah, he sells for him. He doesn't look at him as if to say, well, newbie, rookie, I'm not going to do much for him. He knows what is needed to get Edge over, and he really, really puts the effort into making Edge a future star. Now, Hart hits a lovely belly-to-belly, rear chin lock, and then in a scene reminiscent of WrestleMania 10, Owen Hart goes for a victory roll from the top rope, which Edge then reverses into a near fall. That is a thing of beauty. Edge counters an Irish whip into a crossbody from the second rope. Owen hits an enziguri, but Edge stops an ascent with an inverted electric chair. Again, just executed to perfection, as is the series leading up to this. Flapjack from Edge, swinging net breaker. You'd think Edge has been doing this for 20 years, the way he performs in the ring. Back and forth is great as they vie for control. And then Owen Hart gets crotched on the second rope. Edge sets him on top, but Owen reverses it into an inverted front suplex. The sharpshooter gets a huge pop. Of course it does. We're less than a year out from Montreal. The Canadian fans still remember what happened. The Montreal Screwjob and Bret Hart are still still very forefront in their minds. But Edge reverses it into an inside cradle, and then a mystery man appears at ringside to distract Edge. Owen Hart rolls Edge up for the win, and the mystery man disappears into the crowd with Edge in pursuit. The mystery man would, of course, be revealed to be Christian we would then get the storyline over the coming months of The Brood and Christian and Gangrel trying to recruit Edge, who would be revealed as Christian's storyline brother, brother in inverted commas. But this really good opener had no business being as good as it was, obviously with Edge being as green as he was, and Owen Hart didn't have to do what he did for Edge here, but he did. Didn't put him over, obviously. That wasn't the way it was going. But credit to both men. And Owen Hart will go on to a a sort of double identity as both the Blue Blazer and tag team champion with Jeff Jarrett in the, the early stages of 1999. Now we go backstage to Doc Hendricks and Sable. And there's no denying she looks stunning here. She was fucking terrible to people backstage, and a, a just an awful talent in the ring. But she looks as hot as fuck here. 
And she says she's looking forward to being on the Superstar line. Now, that is it. I, I remember this from years and years ago, and I forgot, like, that was it for this bit. I was expecting something against Mark Moreau or something against Jacqueline, etc. Because that feud just went on and on through November. And this is only September, let's not forget. But that's all she had to say. They wisely kept her off of television here and just put her on the superstar line. Inflicted that voice on anyone who actually spent money calling in. Next up, we get a tag team match, a rather unusual tag team match, I have to say. Too Much versus Al Snow and Too Cold Scorpio. Now, Too Much, Brian Christopher, Scott Taylor. They would become Too Cool, Grandmaster Sexay and Scotty Too Hotty, for those who aren't too familiar with Too Much. But they first teamed together all the way back at the WrestleMania 14 Tag Team Battle Royal. Really just a job team for the likes of the Headbangers and LOD 2000 since then. But both men were still technically part of the light heavyweight division, but were way too talented, at least in my opinion, for such a meaningless league. And we all know what they'd go on to do as babyfaces and how popular they'd be with Rikishi, etc. Unfortunately, there was none of that here. They still had the charisma. Brian Christopher still had the laugh. There was still the dance in there. But apart from that, they were just... Um, an egotistical and annoying heel team. Now, we're showing footage of Al Snow beating Commissioner Slaughter on the September 21st Monday Night Raw in a boot camp match to be reinstated after he lost to Too Much when teaming with Head, uh, with Jerry Lawler as the special guest referee. Of course, Lawler being Brian Christopher's real-life father. Now, Al Snow is very popular uh, in your house. Jim Ross surprisingly mentions Leaf Cassidy and Avatar and Al Snow and Scorpio's connection to ECW. That was a nice touch. Scott Taylor and Scorpio start this bout, and like most matches, it's arm work. Scorpio with a lovely single leg spin kick, and then Scott Taylor with a pump handle fall away on Scorpio. Really good athleticism to start. I can't fault that whatsoever even if you looked at this match on paper and thought this belongs on shock and saturday night which it which to be fair it did you can't fault how hard all four of these men tried al snow locked in brian christopher to the arm trapped headbutts quick tags between the babyface team and then to sustain interest they pull out some ecw spots and grab a chair al snow hits poetry in motion off of that chair to scott taylor in the corner Scorpio then provides the laugh of the night because he tries poetry in motion. Poor old Scorpio. At his age and his... What's the nicest way to put this? His girth, because he was quite large in 1998. But unfortunately, the chair breaks underneath him and he falls on his ass. But Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor are troopers because they sell it anyway. And Scott Taylor then falls headfirst into Brian Christopher's crotch. To be fair, it wasn't Scorpio's fault. It was the equipment's fault. However, I would have used a bit of common sense when looking at the chair and my own weight and thinking there's no way that is going to hold me. 
still, it is what it is, and we got a good laugh out of that. Snow tries a chair to Brian Christopher on the outside, but misses. The referee doesn't care. He's watching this, eyes wide open. Snow hits a moonsault to Christopher off the rail. Christopher crotches Scorpio on top and a suplex onto the floor, which looked very good. Scott Taylor then hit a surfboard sledgehammer to the outside and too much do a double backdrop on Scorpio, who turns awkwardly in mid-air, almost like he didn't want to land on his back. Snow hits both men with head over and over and then accidentally turns and clocks Scorpio with head in the middle of the ring. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he accidentally gave his tag team partner head on pay-per-view. There's the joke. I know you've been waiting for it. Now, a low blow to Scott Taylor, but Brian Christopher hits a Tennessee jam to break up the pin. Then Al Snow finally snatches victory from the jaws of defeat with a snowplow. And Brian Christopher could have broken this up, but he was three foot away and he just stood and watched. The ending looked absolutely absurd. Decent match, though, even though it was a TV match, would have fitted on Raw, would have fitted on SmackDown today, even would have fitted on Shotgun Saturday night back in the day. Now, Michael Cole is backstage with The Undertaker and Kane. Now, Cole says that their mission is simple, but which brother will take the fall to become WWF champion? Undertaker says that it's no one's business and they've come to an understanding. Michael Cole then asks if we could see brother versus brother and The Undertaker says we'll see the annihilation of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Next up... Singles action, Mark Moreau versus Droz. Oh, yes, this 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 pay-per-view classic that everyone remembers and asks for, I hear no one say at all. Now, a little bit of history here. Jacqueline had just defeated Sable on the September the 21st Raw to capture the vacant WWF Women's Championship, but the belt wasn't important enough to, to bring out on TV here, so no one really cared. Now, Mark Moreau dominates from the outset, punches, face run on the ropes, draws with a dodgy-looking clothesline, I have to say. He didn't quite have it, draws. I know he was penned as one of the next big stars of the Attitude Era after the whole LOD stuff had calmed down, and we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But for me, looking at Droz's early matches, he was still green as grass. He needed at least another five years, which sadly he wouldn't get due to paralysis at the hands of D'Lo Brown and that horrific incident in the middle of the ring. But I don't think Droz was anywhere near being the next big single star of the Attitude Era. But, you know, if time hadn't have conspired against him, then who knows what we would have seen. Mark Moreau bails to the outside after the clotheslines, but Droz brings him back in. Knee lift to Droz. Mark Moreau with a backdrop over the top and a lovely somersault plancher to the outside. Identical to the stuff he used to do as a babyface in 1996, if you need to picture that in your head. Draws then with an atomic drop, huge power slam, and Mark Moreau chokes him with his wrist tape behind the referee's back. And while the referee is admonishing... Is that the right word? Admonishing? While the referee's having a go at Mark Moreau... Jacqueline goes up top, hits him with the, the heel of her shoe, and then Mark Moreau hits him with Marvelocity, which used to be the wild thing, shooting star press for 
the win. There's nothing to this, which is why I dashed through it. Standard house show match at best. Draws, like I said, was still involved with the Legion of Doom, but that was going to come to an end in December. We will actually have more on that next week with our In Your House 25 review because a lot changes in the next two weeks um, for, for us. Between In Your House 25 and In Your House 26, which had a month and two pay-per-views between it, almost the entire landscape of the WWF changed. So that's going to be an interesting review. Next up, dear God almighty, Falls Count Anywhere, no disqualification match. Vader versus Bradshaw. Now, before we get into this match, some of you not-so-long-time fans, I don't want to call you short-time fans because that's just a crap saying, but you people who have not been watching, and I know there's some of you because you write in and you comment, thank you very much indeed, then there was a match. In fact, there was a series of matches between Vader and Stan Hansen in 1990 in New Japan Pro Wrestling. One match in particular happened on February the 10th, 1990, and they wanted to try and capture the magic of this match. And it's an infamous match where Vader's eye nearly falls out. Now, I'm not talking your Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins bullshit that they did at Extreme Rules a year or two ago. I'm talking his eye, his entire eye, almost came out. He had to put it back into its socket during the match. And Stan Hansen also broke his nose with a sickening cowbell shot. Now, that's, I'm pretty sure, what they were after here. A new Vader versus Stan Hansen match. But there were some problems with that. Two, in fact. The first was that Vader was lazy in 1998 and on his way out of the WWF. And second, Bradshaw was no Stan Hansen. So they were fighting a losing battle from the start. However, do go back and revisit the Stan Hansen-Vader matches from 1990 in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Another level of violence. Another level of just monsters and big hoss balls going at it. Honestly, you've, you've never seen the like in your life. And if you've never seen Stan Hansen wrestle, then get on it. What are you waiting for? We, we don't do this. For our own amusement. We do this so you can enrich your pro wrestling knowledge. And open more doors to yourself. So get onto YouTube. Get on it. Now this is Vader's last WWF pay-per-view match. And a few weeks later he'd leave the company. After two and a half years. And maybe one of the biggest missed opportunities ever. I think that's fair to say. Vader came in with all the. All the pomp and circumstance he was a mastodon in wcw hence the nickname and then they just buried him because they didn't understand him now we go back to bradshaw with michael cole backstage a freshly shaven bradshaw i should say it could be jbl in 2004 he says this isn't going to be pretty and he's come to fight the fat bastard and it's survival the fittest not the fattest Tough words, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's that's a Vince Russo script right there. Now, as a tie-up to begin, Bradshaw rails Vader in the corner with punches. Vader sells for him because he doesn't care anymore. Vader with a charge, works over the leg. Big splash for a near fall. 
Bradshaw just kicks him in the face with a big boot, clotheslines Vader over the top rope, and then on the outside, Bradshaw hits a lariat, rams Vader into the timekeeper's table, and hits him with the ring bell. You can already see the idea and the overtones of what they wanted to do here, like I said at the beginning of this match, but it wasn't working. You could tell how little Vader cared, and that was one of the main problems with this match. And the fact that Bradshaw was going in with unprotected shots, like the the big boot to Vader's face, was just directed solely to cut him open hard. It didn't manage it, but he drove that boot in like Vader owed him money. Bradshaw misses a punch, hits the post instead, and then Vader goes to hit Bradshaw with the steps, but instead of just dropping him on his back and giving us something to get our teeth into, Vader lowers the steps slowly onto Bradshaw, and it looks absolutely absurd, especially when Bradshaw has to sell it like he's just had his back broken. Now, you can clearly see how little anyone cares here. Very little effort from Vader. Again, like his match with Mark Henry, he just walked through this. They fight up the aisle. Vader tries to pin in the aisle. And then a massive second rope splash from the Mastodon. That looked great. Vader bomb only got a near fall. Huge clothesline from hell from Bradshaw. Second for a near fall. But then Bradshaw pinned him. With a fucking neck breaker. I shit you not. Clothesline from hell. Bradshaw's finisher. Couldn't finish Vader off. But a simple neck breaker did. Give me a fucking break. Now this was so-so. Not what could have been done with effort. And clearly a weak finish did not help it whatsoever. It is worth mentioning, however. That by this point on the card, we were four matches down... And I think it was only 48 minutes or so into the event. It felt at this stage more like a Monday Night Raw taping. Where meaningless matches with very little build or storyline are just thrown on to fill time and please the audience who had paid a lot of money for a ticket. Now we go to Kevin Kelly, Tom Pritchard and Jason Sensation at the WWF.com booth. And Jason Sensation does some okay impressions of The Rock, Road Dog, Jeff Jarrett and The Undertaker who he gets spot on. Now if you don't know who Jason Sensation is then he's the guy who joined DX as the Owen Hart parody during that in-ring piss take of the Nation of Domination that you'll only be able to probably see on YouTube now, because I'm sure the WWE Network in the United Kingdom, Europe and other countries has taken it down, and I'm 100% sure Peacock will have edited that from history completely. Now, D'Lo Brown goes one-on-one with Gangrel. Now, the war between Nation and DX was still going on at this point, petering out but still going on in little bits in some forms. And the nation would disband very shortly after In Your House 24. X-Pac, however, had defeated D'Lo Brown for the European Championship on the September the 21st, Monday Night Raw. Now, this is heel versus heel, which makes you wonder why. And they waste no time here. Punches, there's a good double arm trap suplex and elbow drop by Gangrel. 
D'Lo Brown with a high side kick, but this lacks a spark. Now, Gangrel dodges a second rope elbow. D'Lo Brown with a low blow. Lovely running power bomb, which sadly is the best part of this match. And following this, it's, it's very slow. There's nothing of note happens. It's like they forgot how to build a match and just panic and go with punches and kicks and punches and kicks until the very end. Gangrel pushes D'Lo Brown off the ropes like a, a kid wanting to get on a slide. Covers him, looks really, really weak. D'Lo Brown, for some reason, goes for a version of the angle slam and looks like he changed his mind halfway through. It's... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's an angle slam slash flapjack, maybe. Very, very difficult to... Uh, to watch this at this point they get booed when D'Lo Brown applies a rear chin lock and fans start making their own entertainment with a Mexican wave they're doing stuff in the you can hear them cheering at each other while this match just drags the life out of the show Mark Henry's out thank God to signal the end of this match pulls down the rope Gangrel goes over the top and rammed into the post and then D'Lo Brown wins with the lowdown from the top rope. Not good at all. Just absolutely boring, dull. D'Lo Brown's better than this. Gangrel needed something meatier to get his teeth into. No pun intended, him being a vampire, etc. But this was one of the low points of a dire pay-per-view. After the match, Gangrel spits blood into Mark Henry's eyes and hits D'Lo Brown with the Impaler DDT. Just don't watch this. I implore you not to waste your life watching this match if you go back and watch this pay-per-view event. There are a hundred better D'Lo Brown matches and probably a hundred better Gangrel matches if you're willing to search for them. Now... We get a video of The Rock versus Ken Shamrock versus Mankind from the main event of the 21st of September Monday Night Raw. We see The Rock hit Shamrock with the rock bottom. And then The Undertaker and Kane are down. They do away with Mankind and Ken Shamrock and then turn on The Rock, who bravely stands his ground and takes it to both men before getting manhandled and chokeslammed. Now, the match-up next was Triple Threat Rematch, The Rock, Shamrock, Mankind in a steel cage, and the winner will be the number one contender for the WWF Championship. Now, everything's changed from the last time we saw The Rock. The last time we saw him, he was the cocky heel leader of the Nation of Domination. But things have changed. SummerSlam happened, and The Rock was a sort of babyface now. After SummerSlam, it began to see a huge lift in support from the fans. And it would, of course, lead to the nation turning on him in October, disbanding, and The Rock just becoming one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling. Even though the, the face turn would only be two and a half months before he turned again at Survivor Series. Now, Michael Cole is backstage with Ken Shamrock. And Shamrock says that he will go as far as it takes. And he came here to be the champion. 
Doc Hendricks is then with The Rock, who says he doesn't give two pieces of monkey crap about Ken Shamrock. And this will be the night of The Rock. It's a brilliant promo from Dwayne Johnson here. And you can hear the fans cheering him in the background. And it's this, this swagger that finally got him over. That went from Rocky sucks and die Rocky die chance to just pure Rocky. Just love for the bloke. And then Kevin Kelly is shown with Mankind somewhere dark backstage. Uh, Mankind goes through the stupid things he's done and seen in his life. Takes a pop at the Canadian president for sacrificing the country for, in his own words, a girl even I'd have turned down in high school. What a great line that is. And then Mankind says that if they think he's going to lay down for them, they've got another thing coming. Now, Ken Shamrock, big jeers from the crowd. Mankind gets a good ovation, but The Rock almost takes the roof off the arena. Rocky chants. It's like he's a hometown hero. Or you'd almost say The Rock was Bret Hart listening to this this reception. It was godlike. Now, the match itself, however, I know this is favourably looked upon by people. And maybe it was because it was on a, a pretty bad card. But I don't think this match is as good as people remember it being. Now, The Rock and Ken Shamrock go at it to start while Mankind watches in the corner, tries to sneak out the door, but then Mankind beats down Ken Shamrock in the corner, gets clothesline from The Rock, and then Shamrock works over Mankind and applies an abdominal stretch. Fuck's sake. In a steel cage match. What the fuck is this? Rock saves it, however, because he then applies one on Ken Shamrock, and we get a double abdominal spot. However, Shamrock does break that with a hip lock while still applying the hold to Mankind. That looked very good. Now, The Rock tries to strike a deal with Mankind, but then attacks him, stops both men escaping, and then Rock and Mankind double-team Ken Shamrock to a great ovation. They choke him on the ropes. The problem with the double-team is that it really slows the momentum. And it's not just the Rock and Mankind's double team, because they had great chemistry. Just look at them in the Rock and Sock connection to see that. The problem was is that it was a triple threat steel cage match. People had already sat through a few matches that had bored them. Um, the last match, D'Lo Brown and Gangrel, they did a Mexican wave and made their own entertainment. So, if I'm an agent booking this backstage, I want pizzazz, I want excitement, I want drama... I want the rock in peril so the fans don't know whether he's going to make it through to be number one contender to the WWF Championship. I don't want three sets of partnerships, because they all partner up against each other, that takes a good... It must take a good six or seven minutes out of this match just for that. And it really slows it down, and it does take you out of it somewhat, especially when you realise they could have shortened this match. In fact, they could have shortened it greatly and got everything in that they needed. But like I say, The Rock struck up a partnership with Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock trolled the ankle lock. The Rock turned on him. Then Ken Shamrock and Mankind partnered up on The Rock to allow booze, actually, and allow Rocky chance. Very odd-paced match, especially as it's inside a cage. Not very much happens for ages. The Rock fires back on Mankind with a clothesline, but gets clobbered by Ken Shamrock for his efforts. 
And then DDT to Mankind, float over DDT to Ken Shamrock, double people's elbow, and the fans pop more than they have done all night. Mankind then crotches the rock on the top rope on an escape attempt. Rock, low blow to Ken Shamrock, rock bottom to Mankind for a near fall, and you can win the match by pinfall submission or escaping the cage, I should have added at the beginning. Loud Shamrock sucks chance. And then the world's most dangerous man hits a belly-to-belly, ankle lock on the rock. Mankind breaks it and then climbs out, but the rock grabs his foot. Mankind and rock work over the top of the cage. They get to the top. Ken Shamrock joins them briefly, but is kicked off. The rock knocked down and then Mankind up the top like Jimmy Snooker. And we've all heard the stories of how he travelled to Madison Square Garden to see Jimmy Snooker dive off the top of the cage. Months after the King of the Ring spot as well, I should add, where he he came off the top of that hell in the cell and went through it like an absolute trooper. But months down the line, he's on the top of the cage, misses a flying elbow drop from the top, which looked like it hurt, in all fairness. Ken Shamrock then pulls a chair into the ring. Mankind with a double-arm DDT to Ken Shamrock. Wicked unprotected chair shot, swinging for the fences. Mankind goes to climb over the top, but the rock crawls over Ken Shamrock's prone body for the win. Very well-timed ending. Took a while to get going, but the last five or six minutes are very good. Fans are into it. Ken Shamrock snaps after the match. Of course, he does. That was his thing. But honestly, if you're going to watch this match, skip to the last six, seven minutes, because the rest of it is, it's getting there. And I know every match is just getting to the finish, but this one more so. It's like, we know we've got a cage. We know we've got three top stars. How do we get to the end? And it's almost like I throw them in, lock the cage door, and hope for the best. Hope that they know how to fill about 18 minutes. And to be fair, they don't. Next up, we get a video package. Oh, this is a beauty. We get a video package for Dustin Runnels, a.k.a. Dustin Rhodes, a.k.a. Goldust, versus Val Venus. Now, this is the Bible preacher, Dustin Rhodes, slash Runnels, taking offence to Val Venus's vulgarity, attacking him with a sign after a match. Now, we talked last in your house about the early right to censor gimmick that Dustin Runnels was doing, and it was coming to an end, thank God, but Val Venus tells him that he'll pay the price while his wife reaped the benefits. Now, this is the second story in a year where Terry has been involved or on the line. Val Venus shows Dustin a video of him and Terry called The Preacher's Wife. And yes, they are having supposed sex in a bed. And then he comes out with the line... I guess getting on your knees, Dustin, runs in the family. Admittedly, it's a great line, but completely Vince Russo. Completely comes off of of Jerry Springer. Now, Dustin Runnels versus Val Venus. Like I said, the story, Terry Runnels has turned on Dustin. She prefers Val Venus and everything he offers in the bedroom. And Dustin wants Val Venus out of the WWF. He wants the smut to stop. But this isn't good. This is not good. 
Rhodes is already in the ring when the video package ends, which is never a good sign. Val Venus introduces Terry in a hot outfit. I, mean, I think this was the first time we'd seen her since the Pillman stuff in October 1997. But, like I say, second storyline in a year that she was involved in. Val Venus hits a spinebuster after a moment of prayer. Dustin Runnels, facebuster, powerbomb. Outside the ring, Val Venus hits a huge clothesline in the aisle, and Jim Ross does Rhodes no favours on commentary by reminding us that he beat Razor Ramon twice. This just highlights how far he'd fallen as a character, how far the writing team had done him wrong as as well. It was ju- it was just horrible to to think back to what he was, to what that made him into here. Just a complete and utter mess. Now, crowd again doing the Mexican wave. They're that bored throughout this match. I don't blame them. This was a terrible, terrible outing. Val Venus, Irish whip, knees, leg sweep. Very off as well. The bumps are tame. Neither man has anything to really do. And they don't play to the story of what this match is. It's just move for move to get the match in. They would have a rematch at In Your House 25, which was 10 times better. But we had to sit through this to get to that. Now, so bored with the action are the crowd that chants begin of take it off to Terry Runnels. Really long rear chin lock by Val Venus, which drags the arse out of this match. Rhodes hits a DDT, and I'm calling him Rhodes, not Runnels, because it's easy to say. Goes up top, Val Venus front suplexes him to the outside, and then Val Venus is thrown out, gets distracted by Terry's legs and body, and they just have a quick snog at ringside. Mm-hmm. Dreadful, dreadful stuff. Rhodes with a face buster, cover, but the referee stops at two because Val Venus forgets to kick out. Just awful. That throws them off for the rest of the match. You can see it. You can see they're unsure what to do. You can you can tell they're almost tentative to do anything in case one or the other forgets. And then Val Venus wins with the money shot. Really bad match disjointed the story going in was deplorable thank god this would come to an end less than a month later at in your house 25 judgment day when we see the return of gold dust but more on that next week and if you can hear clanking that is tardis my cat once again he loves to be part of these recordings he's almost like the third man on the union smack podcast now so we get a video package from Monday Night Raw from two weeks ago of Jeff Jarrett using his guitar to hit the road dog in the throat twice and pin him. Then we get a video after that of Sunday Night Heat earlier in the night before In Your House went on the air of the Disciples of Apocalypse beating Billy Gunn down after a two-on-one handicap match with him. Road Dog X-Pac coming to the save and then Southern Justice and Jeff Jarrett attacking. That leads us to a six-man tag team match, Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice versus Degeneration X, i.e. New Age Outlaws and X-Pac. Now, this began at SummerSlam, when X-Pac cut Jeff Jarrett's hair, but spiralled in to take everyone else in, because there was nothing really for anyone to do. Southern Justice, formerly the Godwins, in case you're wondering, this was their final pay-per-view event as a team. And Phineas would, of course, go on to become Midian in the Ministry of Justice. And then in 2000, Naked Midian 
something we're all still having therapy for. Now, the Outlaws attack from behind, send the trio outside, and this was at a time when DX was slowly breaking up. The booking committee had lost interest in Degeneration X. Triple H was out with a leg injury, so that didn't help them. And they were seeing Billy Gunn as a big single star, so they wanted to push him. And we all know how that ended. King of the Ring win, spot at SummerSlam against The Rock in 99, just didn't go anywhere. Because Billy Gunn, as I've said before, did not have the connection, did not have the skill to go any further than his tag team spot. Now, Jeff Jarrett and X-Pac start fast. Jarrett slides through the legs, comes up with a drop kick, and X-Pac counters a head scissors into a powerbomb, into a lovely series of moves. Road Dog with a rear view on Jeff Jarrett into the ropes, which looks good, and then Southern Justice are in, and the match slows to a crawl as they work over the Road Dog. Nice attire by Southern Justice. New hair, but let's remember, it is still just the Godwins. You can polish a turd, but at the end of the day, it's still a turd. Now, Jeff Jarrett versus Road Dog is historically interesting because of the history between the two. X-Pac hits hard, but he's taken out with a huge power slam by Mark Canterbury, and they control X-Pac for the story of the match. X-Pac plays the Patsy for them, if you like. Jarrett crotch chops DX to taunt them. Mark Canterbury with a wheelbarrow face buster to X-Pac, and Jeff Jarrett sleeper puts X-Pac out until the comeback and reversal. The reverse attempts until X-Pac hits a back suplex, hot tag to Billy Gunn, and Billy Gunn is a ball of fire. Gorilla press slam to Jarrett. Big brawl breaks out between the two teams. Jarrett fetches his guitar from ringside. Billy Gunn snatches it off of him, but then the ref takes it from Billy Gunn. Southern Justice double-team the ass man. He's an ass man. And then Jeff Jarrett gets his guitar back. I don't know what that was before you ask. Jeff Jarrett grabs his guitar back, clocks X-Pac with it, injures his eye for real, and then Billy Gunn in the ring pins Dennis Knight, a.k.a. Midian, a.k.a. Phineas Godwin, with a famouser for the win. The end came out of nowhere. Match was fine, nothing special, but after the match, X-Pac holds his eye, and they try to forcibly remove his head from the guitar. I'm not sure quite what happened they say it was a splinter gone awry on commentary. And you can believe that because Jarrett laid that guitar in something vicious. So to believe that a bit of wood came out and got X-Pac in the eye isn't out of the realms of possibility. Now we get a video package for the main event. And the main event being Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker versus Kane for the WWF Championship. Now, the video package begins with Vince McMahon announcing the three-way match and Austin saying that there's no way they'll finish him. Undertaker and Kane are then seen destroying everyone from tag teams to single stars and Vince McMahon adds a stipulation that The Undertaker and Kane cannot pin each other to ensure that they have to beat up Steve Austin even more. Now, McMahon tells the Texas Rattlesnake that Stone Cold screwed Stone Cold and then Austin attacks McMahon, but The Undertaker and Kane attack Austin. And Undertaker is heard telling him it's nothing personal, it's just business. 
But then Austin says it's personal if they're trying to take the title from him. There's more of Austin laying out Undertaker and Kane with a chair. And Vince McMahon guarantees that Austin will not leave Breakdown as WWF champion. What this video package does, apart from build the match, it does leave out the Undertaker turning heel on Austin and admitting that he and Kane have been working together since King of the Ring. I don't recall whether they had that in the SummerSlam package for the main event, which was Austin versus The Undertaker, but they could have done with it here. Um, I, I don't suppose they thought that in 20-odd years' time, you know, two people would be reviewing every in your house they did. But, you know, little, little thought would have gone a long way. We'll show... <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? We're then shown footage from Sunday Night Heat of Vincent McMahon trying to put a cage match together between Austin and Mark Henry stacking the decks against Austin, so he's injured going into this match. But Austin is dressed up as the ring attendant, beats up Vincent McMahon, forcing The Undertaker and Kane to have to climb into the cage as he escapes, flipping them the bird. Oh dear. So, <clears throat> WWF Championship main event, triple threat match, Austin, Undertaker, Kane, and the rules are thus. The Undertaker and Kane cannot pin each other to win the WWF Championship. They have to pin Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince McMahon doesn't care which one becomes the champion. He just wants the belt off of Austin. Now, this match begins hot. Austin attacks The Undertaker from behind with a steel chair on his entrance. Gives it to Kane too. Sense of urgency about this now. Austin knows the decks are stacked. He knows Vince is going to try and screw him. So he wants to get it in fast. He wants to beat them down. Maybe end it early. Makes sense. Now Austin and Kane are left alone to begin with. Austin dodges a Kane flying clothesline. Undertaker comes back with the chair somewhat lazily as well he's almost dragging his feet austin sends the undertaker into the stairs crotches kane around the ring post trying to keep it one-on-one -on -one. hits a stunner on kane really early on but undertaker pulls him out of the cover now the undertaker with a flying clothesline as kane just lays there uh, austin back with a luthes press and then the brothers of destruction begin to cut off austin's comebacks regularly and it becomes a basic two-on-one match. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, that's the point. That's the drama. And spot on. It's the point of this match. It's what the drama revolves around. Austin having to fight the decks of two brothers who are working for Vince McMahon, who, want the who wants the title off of Austin. But there's a limit. Okay, this match is nearly 18 minutes long. Imagine a two-on-one match where not very much happens. It's mostly punch, kick, maybe ram him into the post, slam, punch, kick. Imagine that for a good 10 minutes of an 18-minute match. And this is basically what this main event is. So The Undertaker misses Austin, punches Kane by mistake. They have a little face-off. Austin pushes them into each other and then Austin chokes Kane with the cable as the Undertaker chokes Austin with the cable. 
So we get a repeat, sort of, of the double abdominal stretch from the triple threat steel cage match. Now, the double teaming of Austin, like I've said, not very interesting, but they tried to keep it somewhat watchable by having him fighting back often. But there's a shelf life, and this exceeds that shelf life by a long way. Austin then attacks Patterson and Briscoe in the aisle while being beaten up. That's very good. Undertaker and Kane drag Austin down the aisle by the arms in a decent visual. And if this wasn't slow enough, not only do they decide to work over his leg when they get back to the ring, but they do it in such a way where it's not, right, I'll break his leg with this chair, then you smash his leg by coming off the rope. No, no, the Undertaker applies a very long leg lock. Just as the match looked like it could draw to a close, it should have drawn to a close, the Undertaker applies a rest hold as the fans begin to boo. And sadly, you can hear the fans getting restless here. You can hear them voicing their frustration. Austin does fight back, but predictably it doesn't last long. Hits Kane with a chair, Undertaker hits Austin with the chair to break up a cover. Undertaker then pins Austin, but Kane pulls him off and the tensions begin to boil over. Undertaker then pulls Kane off a pin attempt and the Brothers of Destruction begin to fight. And then in a funny little moment, Austin and Kane team up on the Undertaker and Austin clotheslines him over the top rope before going back for Kane. See, that was very good. If there had been more amusing bits like this, and not it wasn't just done for comedy effect, it, it made sense. The Undertaker and Kane were annoyed that they kept, well, the other one, I should say, kept costing them the WWF Championship. Never mind about Austin. They were against Austin in a basic handicap match, even though it was billed as a triple threat match. But the logic was there. You're costing me the title, so I'm going to knock you out. Then Austin gets involved without you know, one of the other two thinking. And you, you get little team-ups. Now, I complained about the team-ups in the triple threat steel cage match because that was a steel cage, hat on a hat, as Jim Cornette says. Here, in a match that was growing tedious by the minute, it was very welcomed because it made a lot of sense. So, Undertaker's back in. He and Kane then get back on the same page, but this is now dragging on. This match was hideously long and fell every one of the seconds. Undertaker and Kane do some more shoving and fighting over who'll get the pin, take each other out with a double clothesline. Austin fights back his last, one last rally, pushes Kane into the Undertaker on top, crotches the dead man. Kane reverses a stunner, pushes Austin into the boot of Taker, and then they hit a double choke slam and both pin Stone Cold Steve Austin for the win. Now, the match basically ends with Vince McMahon taking the title and leaving with it above his head as Austin nails the Stooges in the aisle, chases Vince backstage, but Vince leaves in his limo and taunts Austin from the top of the ramp. This, the story I get, okay, again, it's... It, I don't believe they really knew how to book Austin as WWF champion in 1998. And people will understand this. 
people understand why Vince did it like this. But when when you look at it, he only really had one completely clean win on pay-per-view as champion in his two reigns between WrestleMania and Breakdown. And that was at SummerSlam 1998 against The Undertaker. His other pay-per-view defences, he, he counted his own fall in one of them. He got an unconscious Vince McMahon's hand to count the pinfall in another. At the King of the Ring, he lost the title to Kane in the first blood match. Yes, there were shenanigans to save face, but he still lost that match. Then, at SummerSlam, he got the only clean win of his two reigns so far. On pay-per-view, I should say. And then here, loses clean to The Undertaker and Kane. So there, there was a there was a question mark hanging over Steve Austin's booking in nineteen ninety eight, at least at least from me looking back. But I'm sure you'll love it. People bought into it, which was the main thing, I guess, in the end. This match, however, really long, really drawn out. I would have felt cheated had I paid to see just this match. Should have been ten minutes shorter than it originally was. And Austin wouldn't be WWF champion again until WrestleMania 15 in 1999. Fans were behind him, though, even though he lost the title twice in the space of three months. And like I said, that's all that matters. You please the people who are paying to see your product, and you just do the best you can. Could they have done this a better way? Of course they could. There was probably ten better ways to do this. There was ten better ways to... To book Austin and push Austin. But he didn't lose anything in defeat. He was fighting a two-on-one handicap match for 16 and a half minutes of this match. So by doing that, you make him look strong in defeat. You make Vince look like the, the cowardly heel who had to use two men plus two stooges for a distraction to take the title off of Austin. And the story carried on. Now... This pay-per-view, however, gets a C from me. There was some good stuff here, including Owen Hart versus Edge. Triple threat cage match was okay, not enough to warrant a recommendation. The pacing, again, was more like a television show. Four matches in nearly 50 minutes was too much. And when I say too much, I don't mean it was too many matches. I mean it, it was just too much to take in, especially as those matches didn't really mean anything. And it was a card that had very little in the way of an undercard. It was just thrown together, really. And the main event, which should be the centrepiece of your show, was just absolutely unwatchable. At least for me. I, I'm sure people watch this and will watch this back and will like it very much. But for me, it gets a C. There is worse to come. Thankfully, next week in your house at 25, Judgment Day is much, much better than this. But in two weeks' time, we go to In Your House 26, Rock Bottom, which is a dreadful, dreadful show. Oh, dear me. So, before I go, you know how it works. Pop over to Twitter, find me at BruiserMate, find the show at Union Smack, where you'll find everywhere you can... You can get us in the podcasting world by our link tree in our bio. UnionSmack.BigCartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. 
ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Buyer, where you can celebrate five years of the Union Smack podcast by purchasing all three of our t-shirts, support the podcast, show your love, and Lulu.com, where you can pick up copies of my books, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. So, until next week, my friends, thank you for the support. Stay cool in this unbearable weather if you're in the United Kingdom. Honestly, we've been going through a heat wave that has just been absolutely disgusting. So there's been some days where I don't even know how I'm going to survive. It's been that bad. You open your front door and you're hit with, with heat that would melt a snowman in 10 seconds. I shit you not. So take care of yourselves if you're in the United Kingdom. Stay cool, stay safe, stay good, stay kind. And until next week, cheerio, mate.